You're listening to episode 149 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest, Coach Mark Sofoulis. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today, I have Coach Mark Sofalis on the show, and he's going to talk to you about how to become a complete player. And I'm really excited to talk with him about how he improved his knowledge of the game, uh, some really great tips for you on your training and how to improve yourself and reach your true tennis potential, and also some uh, some great tips to coaches as well. And we obviously will talk uh, a lot more about these topics and a lot of others on the show, but those are the, are the main ones that we're going to be covering today. And I have had Mark on my tennis summits, I think all four years, and he's been really fantastic, put out some really great content, and uh, as I'll talk about uh, his background a little bit, you'll hear about all the great pros that he's uh, worked with, and he does a great job at the Melbourne International Tennis School as well. And yeah, I'm just really excited to to bring you this episode. And once again, for the second time in a row, actually, and for the second time ever, I did a live video broadcast with uh, my podcast guest, which is in this case, Mark, of course. And uh, I am now putting this out as a podcast for you to check out. But if you'd like to know when I conduct these live video interviews, which is really cool because you can actually join and then ask your questions live as you'll hear uh, in this episode, then just go to TennisFiles.com and sign up for my uh, newsletter and you'll receive a really cool free ebook as a gift as well. And then I'll notify you via email whenever I have a live broadcast or put out new content or anything else that's really significant that I think can help you improve your game. So again, just go to tennisfiles.com and you will see a little sign-up form for you to uh, sign up and get a free ebook and some other great content. And yeah, so with that, I am, again, really happy to bring you this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Coach Mark Sofalis. It's really an honor and a pleasure to have uh, my friend Mark Sofalis on the Tennis Falls podcast, this is actually the second live podcast that I've ever done. The first one was last week with uh, WTA Pro Daniel Lau, and it's really great to be on with a, a really a great coach who I have had on my tennis summits uh, several times. I think all four years, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, I only 
bring, uh, you know, the best that I can find. And so uh, Mark is somebody that I really enjoy and have learned a lot from myself. And so if you don't know about Mark, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him now. So he's the head coach at Melbourne International Tennis School, of course, in Melbourne, Australia. And he's coached many uh, great pros, including uh, the, the Rodianova sisters, Dane Prokogia, excuse the pronunciation, Victor Haneskew. And he's also been part of the Bryan Brothers team for the past, uh, for, for six years at the Australian Open, which is uh, incredible. Uh, obviously, the most legendary doubles team of all time, probably. And uh, yeah, so, and we'll talk also about uh, Mark's great project. He's launching uh, the tennis menu really soon, which I definitely highly, highly recommend that you all check out. Uh, and so, yeah, Mark, uh, I know I've blabbered on quite a bit, but how are you doing? I'm going very well, Mervon. How are you going? Oh, fantastic. It's a pleasure. Uh, like I said, you know, I really enjoy talking to you and I just love learning from from all your great content. And you've, you've had so many great presentations on the summit, you know, like the two-handed backhand and like single statistics and so forth. So uh, ready to get uh, into it with you, Mark. And uh, I just want to start off by asking you, it's always very interesting for me to find out how people got their spark and their passion for tennis. So I want to ask you uh, how you first got into the game, how that came about. That's a good question. Uh, thank you once again, obviously, for having me. And, you know, it's always a pleasure being on uh, any of your summits and, and presentations. So and I do thank a lot of your, uh, you know, fans that obviously um, send a lot of emails to me and, and thanking me for my presentation. So uh, hopefully uh, we can a little bit of knowledge to them today. But, you know, tennis for me was, um, it started many years ago. I was about three or four years of age. My dad was a, a, a very high-rated high, high rate, rated tennis player in, in our country, I guess, or our state. He played some high-level uh, pennant. And, uh, you know, he got me into the game. And, and that's where, I guess, the love of it was, I guess, from the start. But um, as you go through, I guess, you, you get to points in tennis where, it's, it's a brutal game um, if you're trying to play at the, the highest level. And, you know, it took me on so many journeys and, and it's taken me to, to so many places um, around the world, but also in my own mind. And it's taught me so many different things that uh, to become a coach for me was one of the most important things was to teach what what the game actually is. And, and the game of tennis for me is a life lesson, you know, where you're on your own, you have to fend for yourself. And that's what I love about the game is we, we have to, think our way through situations and life is is like that as well and tennis and life for me are very similar in in, in daily habits and behaviors so it is a passion of mine it has been since a young age and yeah i've uh, loved every minute of it fantastic and as far as uh you know growing up watching your father play i mean was there something that you saw like when he was playing that really got you excited to to play the sport as well i think i grew up wanting to compete um, and, I, and I still, at, at this age, at 38, I still want to compete in everything that I do. And I think uh, I've got myself into the watching the last dance with Michael Jordan and, and seeing how, how competitive he was. But, you know, I had that same sort of fire in my belly. And, and that, for me, is one of the things that really excited me about playing a sport on my own was that I didn't have to rely on anybody else, that I had to really fend for myself and compete at the highest level as hard as I possibly could. And and it was only me to blame if the, if we didn't play, if I didn't play so well. So um, I know that's what I love about it. It's that competitive edge. And it's something I do miss about, about um, obviously, now being the, the age that I am, not being able to compete at any level. Uh, I'm more coaching now and trying to get my players to compete. But uh, that's definitely where the fire, fire begun is that competitiveness. Yeah, so 
Regarding competitiveness, I mean, I, a few years ago, I emailed like 70 or so college coaches and I asked them for the most important character traits of uh, college players, which I'm sure applies to pretty much everybody. And they said, you know, competitiveness is really the, one of the top ones. And so, I mean, how did you and where did you get your competitive spirit from? I don't know. I, I, I feel like I might have been born with that little edge. You know, I, I just I, I hate losing. It doesn't matter what I do. And even I have two little kids and the poor things that they can't beat me in anything. I won't let them win. But uh, you know, I think it's important to, to have that competitive nature. And I find it very hard to teach. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's uh, something in coaching that I, you know, I'd love to have a player come to me with a competitiveness because I think we can teach all the skills in the world. But one thing that is very hard to implement is that competitive nature. So I feel like, you know, that to me is one of the critical components and the, one of the most important ingredients in, in the makeup of an elite athlete. And so you're correct for sure that it's, it's really tough to teach that. But have you tried to instill it in, in players and seen success? And if so, like what types of things do you, do you actually do to try to instill competitiveness? Okay, that's a great question. I'm going to give you two answers to it. There's one where you've got to create the environment. I think uh, players, uh, I'm a big advocate that players, um, uh, co coaches don't make players, players make players. And the coach can create an environment where it is inducive for competitiveness. And I feel like that's one way to, to bring the competitive juices to the table is to always create that competitive nature in your, in your training sessions. That's probably the first one. The one that I've, I've found I've had a little bit of success with, which I don't recommend all the time, but um, I have a couple of young kids who have not been so competitive and I've got them into sort of um, either martial arts or wrestling or, or something where they had to, compete and even to the point where i would you know have a play wrestle with them or, or do sort of certain things and um i i like to create those fun um competitive games because that to me is the game you know you look across the board of all the players on the tour and they're all different they're all unique they all have different stroke production um different technique different game styles different personalities but the one thing they all share is a competitive nature and it's one thing that I think is a common characteristic across the best athletes in the world is that competitiveness. And and if we can create that in our training in any way that we possibly can, then obviously our athletes are going to learn from the environment, not from the coach, but from the environment that they're put into day in, day out. Gotcha, Mark. So sometimes I've gotten these, this type of email from, from a parent who says, you know, I think my, my child has a lot of talent, but it just seems like they don't want to, you know, compete and all this. So uh, if we want, or we, we want their coach to create the competitive environment, what are, what's your approach to that? I mean, like how much do you introduce in the beginning? Like, do you just go full force and like what types of competitive things do you have them do and so forth? So any advice would be great. Yeah. I, look, I, I, one of my biggest theories in, in the game is that everything stems from competitiveness. You know, so if you can uh, get the players to have more of a competing nature in, in practice, whether it be hit rallying cross court forehands, you know, it could be first to, you know, a certain amount, you know, into the deep part of the court, for example, you have cross court forehands where if they hit it long, it's worth a certain amount of points wide. Always have a, a point system or scoring system on it to make that competitive nature. And the, tennis is a, for me, a decision making sport. And if we don't have decisions in what we do, then you get to the tournaments or you get to matches and you haven't made enough decisions to be able to, I guess, think your way through it. 
And, you know, this is why I love tennis so much is because it's a thinking game. And we have to teach those thinking, uh, those thinking moments uh, as much as possible. And, uh, you know, so I think everything that we do stems from the competitiveness. And I think we need to play uh, a lot of points, a lot of structures. And then if we need to break down the activity, we can break it down into the technical fundamentals. But everything is always starting from that, uh, from that competitiveness and what actually happens from a tactical perspective. Awesome, uh, Mark. Really appreciate that uh, insight. And yeah, we've seen Nick loving it so far. So that's great. Appreciate that, Nick. Uh, James as well. Um, so, Mark, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, specific actions that we can take regarding helping players become more competitive. But I want to ask you, because you've really been able to, you know, in a sense, supercharge your your learning. And, you know, like I said at the top of the show, it's really a pleasure to hear you break things down. So I, I was wondering um, your approach to actually learning the game, because it's really important, you know, in all endeavors that we really become uh, students uh, of our craft and to try to continually learn, which is what you do as well. So talk us, uh, talk to us about like your methods of learning and, and, you know, any tips you can have to help us also increase our knowledge. And then of course, apply that later. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the worst learner. So if you had to coach me, you'd probably pull your hair out. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not great at learning um, very well. So what I generally do to learn is I have a quote that um, I was taught a long time ago by a teacher. And he told me that the, the person who is doing the talking is doing the learning. Now, that to me rings true because the way that I learn is I might read something, but then I need to go out and show people or teach people what I just learned to in, instill the learning. So uh, for 13 years now, I've been a coach educator for Tennis Australia, and uh, I find that's my greatest learning. So I deliver the content given to me. I, I talk to coaches. They ask me questions. I talk back to them, and I'm reinforcing my learning all the time. And people say to me, oh, you know, you're a great coach educator, or, you know, you, you love it, you're passionate about it. I do it a lot selfishly as well because it helps me to learn and to instill my, my philosophies and my, my habits in my coaching. So I feel like that when you can learn something and teach it back, it's really important. So obviously, you know, you can do a lot of reading and there's so much on, on uh, social media these days to learn from. And hopefully with the tennis menu, we can create that as well where people can watch us and learn. But I think it's, it's not just the reading or the, or the understanding of that. It's going out and practicing it and putting it into your daily habits. And everything you learn isn't, gospel for me you've got to learn something and see if it fits into what you do see if it fits into your own philosophy into your own way of coaching into your own way of being um, there's no right or wrong in coaching it's an opinion you know every single coach out there has an opinion on the game and you may be seeing the same player play but you all have a different opinion on what you see and that's where i feel like there is no wrong answer everybody's got an opinion on it and it's just a how to use your opinion and the ideas that you've learned so go away and learn stuff, but then apply it in bits and pieces. Don't apply everything at once and see what works for your philosophy and what doesn't. And I guess the other thing is to continually write down what your philosophies are. And that's for me a big learning because then it, as a coach, it keeps me on track to what I'm trying to develop with my players. If you don't have a clear philosophy, then you find yourself just doing bits and pieces and you never align to the one outcome that you're trying to achieve. So that's a really important factor for me.
Yeah, love it for sure. Definitely a great tip about uh, just, uh, you know, if, if you have to teach something, then you really have to know it inside and out. Um, so that's great. Um, yeah, that's a good point by Brad. You know, he says, uh, why force a child to be super competitive if the child isn't interested in competition but wants to just enjoy the game? Sounds pushy. So, yeah, that's a good point, right? I mean, is that something you agree with? or 100%. Yeah. And there's different levels of the game. And this is where, you know, one of the hardest things about uh, educating others is that we all have to understand that every player is in it for a different reason. Right. So you know, if you're working with a player that wants to go and play competitively and play on the tour for the rest of their life, or that's their career path, obviously it's a different uh, mindset and coaching philosophy as it would be for a player that's in it just for the love of the game, just to hit balls on the weekend, to be with their friends or their families. And, you know, I'm going to go on the weekend to have a little hit with my daughter, which I, I try not to do. I don't want to be coach daddy. I want to be daddy. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to go and have fun with that. And, you know, it's about understanding what the outcome is you're trying to achieve. And, you know, if a player wants to be out there for the love of the game, let's make sure they love the game. But if a player wants to, to go to the to the highest level, obviously that will change in your philosophy and the way you go about the coaching. Good stuff, Mark. Yes, it, I'm curious too about your ascension. If Yeah, I guess that's the right word too. You know, working uh, with, with such amazing players, you know, we mentioned especially like the, the Bryan brothers and so forth. So uh, I want to ask you, like when... I guess we'll go through okay maybe like your your path so when you were uh when you were first starting uh, to coach like what was that environment like for you what was your first coaching job so i started coaching just after i well probably midway through 14 to 15 years of age and uh my coach who was um he's my mentor to this day and i still you know i, I i'm the head coach of his academy at the melbourne international tennis school michael barack was you know gave me an opportunity that you don't you don't get um, given to you. He was a coach of Maria Sharapova, uh, Mark Filipousis, and I was I was basically bred into an environment that was inducive for for performance. And I was very fortunate to be in that situation. Um, he gave me you know a few roles working with some young kids, and um, and I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I I felt like I could be in the game. I really struggled as a player to handle pressure. That was my biggest downfall, my mindset, and. I felt like I could be in the game without having the the pressure on me to, to perform. And I really loved it from that, junior, that young age. And he gave me the opportunity to continue on in my, in my coaching journey. I still played and went, you know, played a little bit of, you know, futures and so forth after I turned sort of 18, 19. But I continually coached to make the money to be able to continue to play. Uh, but I always find, and I look back now, and I guess hindsight is amazing when you can look back and think about your journey. But... I think I was born to to help others and not myself. And I, and I generally still have that philosophy that I, I always put others before me. And I think a coach needs to be selfless. Um, you know, I don't consider myself to be a great coach. I want to be that one day. I want to continue to grow and learn. Um, and I'll always continue to do that. But you have to be selfless. And I think I, I grew in that job um, and, and continued to grow. And I have continued to grow because I feel like I give everything that I can to my athletes and um, and I hope that they feel that genuine care about the way I go about my coaching, because that's obviously the number one priority of a coach is to genuinely care about the athletes you're coaching. Love it. Yeah, that's that's amazing uh, way to say it. And uh, yeah, so as far as working with professional players, I mean, around what time was that and like how did that, you know, link, so to speak, uh, happen for you? It's I, I love talking about this because I feel like um, – young coaches out there that may listen to this podcast may learn a little bit from it but 
you know, the first few years of coaching pro players or being around pro players was for no money. I didn't make anything. I was a hitting partner for, for some players. Uh, I had a couple of young girls that were pretty good that played Australian Open juniors. I was a hitting partner for, for, for them and their coaches. And then it stemmed into one player, uh, which I was very fortunate, Monique Adamzak. I did a little bit of work with her. She's still top 100 in the world in doubles, doing extremely well. Um, did some work with her. And then she recommended me onto Anastasia Rodianova. And then I started to work with her a bit. And then she had her sister playing on tour. And then I started working with her. And through that, um, through a couple of injuries, we saw a physio who then knew a couple of players looking for coaches. And then he recommended me. And, you know, I think coaching is one thing that is, it's word of mouth that is the most important part about being a coach. And obviously, you know, you want people to speak highly of you. You can advertise everywhere. You can put money into banners and, and products and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's about how, how people have perceived you and how people treat you. You've uh, treated people. And then they can recommend you onto others. And I guess my career snowballed and continued to do that once I, I basically got into or started working with Anastasia Rodionova, who I'm you know forever grateful for spending you know on and off about eight or nine years with, and an arena Rodionova with the same amount of time. And you know they taught me so much about coaching on the pro tour, and they teach you so many things. And and then you sort of work, and I had a great opportunity to work with Victor Hanescu, who was you know 27 in the world. Um, playing Hopman Cup for Romania um, and, you know, spent a few years with him. And it was just amazing that and I feel as a coach that the players teach us more than we will ever teach them. You know, mm. I think it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of understanding individual people. And it's also building a strong relationship. And that's become part of my philosophy is if you don't have that trust and relationship with, with your athlete, you could have all the knowledge in the world, but they just won't listen. And, you know, that's obviously a big part, a big chunk about being a professional coach is you've got to build that rapport with every athlete you have. And, and that's what I found so intriguing about the pro tour is you're always working with different players and they're all different personalities with different strengths, different weaknesses, different ways of going about their life. And you have to fit into what they do and you have to find a way and you have to be a chameleon in that and then be able to fit into them. and They're not fitting into you. So um, and and it's, coaching has changed, and I feel like it's no longer a you know go back 20 years. It was a dictatorship, I think, where coaching was the coach always coming down to the athlete, and now it's you know the athlete and coach are working hand in hand to create everything together, and it's a collaboration. Love it, Mark. And so I think you answered uh, you know a lot of this question, but I guess I'll ask if there's anything else in regards to you. You mentioned that you you've learned so much, and that the coaches learn so much from the players. So is there anything uh, you know else specifically that you can remember that you've taken from from learning through working with these pros that you uh, still use today? Yeah, it's probably two things. So one is listen to your player. Uh, your player knows more than you as the coach. They feel every single little thing that they're doing on the court. We can only see. So that, that's probably the most important part is, is listen to them and and then bring your eyes to their to their feelings. Um, and that's the most important part about coaching is, is the listening side of it. And secondly is that success leaves footprints. And the best players in the world give us the... Um, the the footprints to achieve success now watching you know the best players in the world i've had opportunities to be on court with obviously the brian brothers who are not only amazing tennis players but just amazing people and just to learn about you know the way that they go about life as well as 
you know, as well as tennis. Uh, but their training, their training habits, even at their, their age now, you know, is just second to none. You know, their preparation, pre-training, post-training, uh, the way that they go about their intensity on the court, you know, the way that they work hard, you know, it's an amazing thing to watch. And I'll give you one story about um, uh, Victor Hanescu, which I also felt was a really big learning curve is, the best players just won't go to bed until they're satisfied with what they've achieved on that day. And I remember Victor, uh, it would have been 2011, maybe, or 12, he was playing. Um, he injured himself with the Hopman Cup and we came back to Melbourne and he had to bypass Sydney to, to be ready for the Australian Open. He wasn't happy with his backhand and um, we actually spent uh, one night, I remember about two and a half or three hours on literally hitting backhands only um, because he'd missed this one shot that he just wasn't happy with in the previous tournament and he just wouldn't wouldn't stop until he got it right um, and I think it's a really important factor is that you don't practice something till you get it right you practice it till you can't get it wrong and he was an advocate for that and he literally just taught me so much about you know it's a matter of just spending time so much time to get your habits so spot on and you know, it's a game of, of millimetres at times and we need to be meticulous in our preparation. And, you know, he was sitting up at night, you know, watching videos that I took of his training. And, and I think that's one of the biggest lessons is the best athletes are just hungry for success and they just, you know, won't sleep. And uh, that's one of the most important learning curves I, I felt. And, I, and that's why I always talk about, you know, competitiveness is not only just on the court, it's also off the court and being competitive in yourself to better yourself, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Very, really love that, you know, just talking about the commitment of the athlete to succeed. And um, actually, I think it was yesterday, I, you know, I have this habit of uh, working out when I'm indoors uh, to uh, different motivational channels. And, and so there was one where I think it was Jason Williams, he was talking about how he had a, a game uh, against uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, rest in peace. And then before the game, several hours before the game, uh, Jason went uh, to go get some reps in and he saw Kobe already practicing. And then, you know, Jason practiced for like an hour or so and then Jason left and then Kobe was still practicing. And then after the game, Jason went up to Kobe and said, hey, man, you know, I'm just wondering, like, why, why do you practice for, for that long before the game? And he said, uh, because I knew you were practicing. So, I, you know, I just wanted to so show you that uh, I'm going to work harder than you no matter what. And so, you know, it's a similar vein of just really uh, showing that you need to be competitive and committed and uh, work hard. Uh, there's no substitute. So really appreciate Absolutely. that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that on, to add to that is, you know, the best players have belief. Now, belief doesn't come from, you know, one day you wake up and you have this confidence in yourself. Belief comes from working hard. Belief comes from getting the time on the practice court. Belief comes from being strong enough, fit enough, fast enough. And if you can't continually do more than your competitors, then you can't believe that you've done more work than them. So when it gets to that fifth set, you can see Roger, Rafa, Novak, just know that they have the edge. And, and it's amazing when they put that, when you put the work in, the belief comes. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think I, I might have heard you talk about this concept uh, recently, Mark. And, you know, it's, it's just like you know, there's a facility near us called Junior Tennis uh, uh, Champion Center and their slogan is trust your training. So imagine, you know, going out on the court and then having a match against somebody and not having trained. And then you're telling yourself, like trying to use whatever techniques or mental techniques, but you haven't trained, you haven't put in the yeah. work. So how can you have that sort of 
confidence if you haven't put in the work. So I uh, really like that, uh, Mark. And uh, I listen to your content. It's good stuff, man. Uh, so uh, there's some questions here, Mark. Uh, let's see. There's one from Samantha. How about managing competitive play when you are playing with people who might not be on your level so that you don't lose your competitive edge? Any thoughts on that, Mark? That's a great question. Um, we, I guess as a, from a coaching perspective, we uh, put in, uh, I guess, scoring systems that uh, create competitiveness even if you're playing below or above your level. So, uh, for example, there's a, a scoring system we use where it's, it's a pressure point system. So every time you get to three, if you lose on a three, six, nine, anything multiple of three, you drop down to the previous um, score. So if I'm three zero up against Murban and uh, and I lose the point, I drop down to zero, he goes to one. And then if we get to six and I lose, if I'm on six and I lose, I go back to three. If I'm on three and I lose, I go back to zero. So you have an up and down scoring system where you can't rest on your laurels and you have to continually compete. And I feel like, that's one way of doing it. And the other way we do is we start points off where the the player who loses the point gets to feed and choose wherever they want to feed the ball. And and basically then you can always have, if the person is not up to your level, they're feeding to you in a defensive situation from the start and you have to learn to defend from that situation. So I guess that's one way of doing it. You could also manipulate your scores in matches. So you might start at love 30 down. You might start at, you know, love 15, uh, you might only have one serve instead of two serves every time you play them. And I think that then adds a little bit more uh, competitiveness because then you you have to fight for every point. You know, um, you know, I used to play against some guys sometimes that didn't probably have the level and you you have to manipulate the scoring to make it competitive so you can get something out of your session. Yeah, yeah, those games where you manipulate the score are really, really helpful uh, in your training and putting more pressure on yourself and all that uh, to simulate uh, match situations. So there's a question about the Rodinova sisters. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to read the exact <laughs> language, but um, what was your experience uh, like? I mean, were there cer you know certain things that you uh, you know you had to change in your style of coaching or anything like that while working with them? Um, I think when you work with any athlete you've got to adapt yeah. as i said before to the, to them and their style and their learning and um they are the most unbelievable competitors in the world like you know mm -hmm. I, I there was one thing you never have to ask the girls to do was was to compete um and obviously that was their 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 one wood you know they took their one wood out on the tee and, and they competed as amazingly hard and mm. Um, and look, I guess and at, at times it becomes challenging because they are so competitive that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're coaching as any player, you, you have differing opinions and, you know, it's always a challenge when you coach any athlete, but they, they were amazing. And, and I, I owe a lot to them because they taught me so much about coaching and, um, you know, they took me on their journey and I'm so grateful to be on, you know, players journeys like that. And, you know, they are, great people off the court. We had an amazing relationship off the court and uh, actually Arena and her husband met at my wife's 30th birthday. So they're still together yeah. to this. So it's, um, it's been a great connection over many years. Very cool. Very cool. And yeah, I guess uh, to dig a little deeper as far as just, I mean, this can even apply to, to parents as well, but when you have a competitive player, um, what adjustments do you make and, you know, what is really the key to be able to get through to them uh, despite, you know, maybe their, their competitive spirit kind of taking over and, and things like that. Yeah. And I guess that's a really important question because they're always thinking about the win. 
And the one thing that we as coaches need to continue to teach is the process. And that's always hard when you've got someone that just wants to win every point, but they're doing it probably the wrong way because they're in their own head, they've got a million and one thoughts going on at one time. And it's a matter of trying to condense their thoughts into simplistic uh, processes that they can, I guess, calm themselves down when they need to, but also allow themselves to get to a certain arousal level um, during a point or during a match. So, they're all the sports psychology tips. And I guess, you know, you talked about, you know, learning and education. I'm really big on the mindset. And I, learn, I try to learn as much as I can about the mindset because at the end of the day, every thought creates an action. And, you know, we, we can't act without a thought first. So as a coach, one of my other ways of coaching and philosophy is to, to teach the thoughts before the actions. And if you can coach through the thoughts, then those players, even though they may be really competitive, they still understand when to calm themselves down, how to do that, and how to refocus their energy back on the process. So yeah, let's let's dig into that a little bit. So regarding the mindset, um, let's take a amateur tennis player because most of the individuals watching are three out of four, five, some five O's, also some coaches too. But um, where do we begin? You know, let's let's say we're a player that we have a lot of uh, trouble uh, in in tight matches. We have certain confidence issues. Where, where would you advise that the, the player begins in terms of trying to change their mindset and, and become a better player, uh, especially with the mind? Yeah, I guess that's a really good point because it's all levels of the game. This is the same question, whether you're you know a, a lower level uh, recreation amateur player or you're a pro. I think we all have the same, the same issues. And it's about, again, I'll go back to the real simplistic part of it. It's about a process. Now, you've got to understand your strengths. One of the big things about a lot of players, regardless of whether you're uh, down the bottom as a beginner or you're up the top as a pro, is you have to understand what you're really good at. A lot of of tennis players, if you get coaching, regardless of what coach you go to, a lot of us coaches, we generally talk in the negative and we always work on things that are not going well for the player. But what is going well? What is your go-to shot? What is your go-to play in the big moments? And I think the best players in the world understand what their go-to plays are, what their go-to structures are. So that helps you to reduce the stress level, to reduce the anxiety level, because you know that you can serve the ball wide. You've done it a million times before and you love to run around your forehand. And on the big points, you've got to utilize that. And I think if you can understand your strengths as a whole, then you'd be able to reduce that that total anxiety when you play and and build confidence in your game. So it's a, a very easy to think about, very hard to do, but um, I think it's it's important to understand and get someone to tell you what you're good at. And that one f- thing for me is, you know, a lot of the kids that I coach, the young kids, a lot of the people that that give them feedback on the game, tell them what they're not good at or what they didn't do well in the match. But what did you do well? And I think it's important to have and I call it a recipe for success. You know, build up the things that always work for you and always turn to those things in the time of pressure or the time of need. You know, whether it's a slice serve out wide on the juice side, if that always works for you on the big moments at 30 old juice, go it. Mm. I think it's important to have those those strategies in your repertoire and in your, in your game plan and your toolkit. So when the moments come, you know what works for you. Got it. That's amazing. So, and this could be potentially really uh, groundbreaking for a lot of players. So, I mean, so another way of saying it is, is just to, to try to figure out, okay, what is my biggest strength or strengths in my game? And then to try to construct each point so that you can use that strength as, as much as you can against the weaknesses. Is that kind of. Absolutely. It? spot on. Okay. 
spot on. And, and at the end of the day, like, you know, players that you play against in a match may know where you're going to serve the ball in the big moments because you've always done it but they still need to execute their ball back. So I wouldn't worry so much about what your opponent is doing because you can't control them. All yeah. you can control is what you do. And I think if you can make your ball and play to your strengths, then it doesn't matter what the opponent tries to do. They'll play a good point every now and again. I mean, we have to understand that it's a 50-50 ball game every time we step up to the line. So, you know, at the end of the day, play to your strengths, go out in the court and just literally just focus on what you can control and let and let's see what happens from that love it love it um try to shift back to to you working with uh you know great professional players which dream of a lot of coaches um i want to dig a little bit into what types of things you learn from the brian brothers as well uh and then also maybe if there's anything that that they have changed you know throughout their careers that uh, that you might suggest that we also maybe apply to our, our games and our the way we approach things as well uh the amount i learned from these guys is, is amazing and and it was just you know the moment i met them um to meet people that i idolize um for so long uh, in the way that they go about tennis and life and um they and i'll it's almost the same story as the hanescu story where i i remember being at the australian open and they were preparing for matches and um I was uh, one that would serve a lot to the guys being, you know, their coach, uh, Dave McPherson, who's an amazing guy, amazing coach. Um, he's a lefty and I'm, I'm the righty and I used to serve as the righty to the players. And um, I reckon it was one day I served for about an hour and a half straight. <laughs> My arm wanted to fall out of its socket, but because they wanted their return to be just so spot on for their match play. And it's just those meticulous habits of, of behavior that is really important to understand if you want to be good at something is there's no substitute for hard work and they just, you know, epitomize hard work. They'd be on the court, you know, in 40 degree heat at middle of the day. Hmm. And I would sit there and go, well, do you really need to be on the court at this time? I can't really last too long out here in this heat, but they just had such a work ethic and such a want to get better. And, um, and that was probably the one thing from an off uh, an on-court perspective, but on an off-court perspective, the way that they treated the fans, mm. I think uh, it's a, it's a, a lesson in life for all of us that we need to treat people the way that we want to be treated. And I know it's a really old saying and probably our mums and dads taught us this as well, but you know, they just treat everybody like they, they mean the world to them. And I think as human beings, as society, if we can improve the way that we treat everybody and, you know, I'm always about giving people time. So, you know, when people message me from your summit, you know, I give them the time of day. I write a personalized email every single time. And I'm hoping that it connects with people that I I, I cherish your thoughts and I and I want you guys to, to talk to me. And I hope I can learn I've learned from the Brian brothers, obviously, that that's the way of being in life, not just on the court, but off the court as well. So, um you know, and, and just preparation, you know, and that's obviously, again, a life and tennis lesson. If you prepare well, no matter what it's for, whether it be a match, whether it be, you know, for, you know, a work um, presentation you're going to do or a school exam, your preparation is the most important part. And they spend the most amount of time on preparation before training. They finish training and they're off the court doing their recovery and their gym and ice bath or whatever it might be for, you know, a heap of time afterwards. So, you know, I think, looking at the best players they prepare well they work harder than anybody else and they're just grateful for being where they are and, and in the situation they're in that they can impact people's lives 
Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, I, I try to expose myself to people who are, are you know, spreading the, the message of, of hard work and, and vision and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's really a struggle with a lot of people, myself included, you know, when you, you know, you have these goals and then all of a sudden there's a lot of distractions or you maybe you don't have your, a clear vision. So I've, I've heard and, and seen that, you know, it's, it's really having clear vision in mind for what you want to accomplish and then having your whys very close at hand to when you get to that almost a breaking point where you, you know, oh, I can either work out or I can uh, eat some Cheetos on the couch. You know, you try to remember your why, like, oh, you know, I, I, I need to work out because I, I want to become, you know, a 5-0 player or something, you know, so some sort of goal like that. So, uh, yeah, I can really appreciate that you have uh, can you know brought that up and that you've learned that type of uh, mentality from the Bryan brothers and you know you have it yourself as well. So I mean that that's really really great. Um, so Samantha has a kind of a clarifying question. Interesting. Um, so I guess she she and she asked a previous question. She said I kind of more so meant not getting discouraged by others. Uh, you know, especially as a woman who might feel like they might not want to come off as being competitive, even though it's fine. So, I mean, Mark, I, you know, do you think that Samantha should, I don't, I don't know how to term this, but basically go down to the level of, oh, I'll just, you know, act fun or, you know, just have fun. Or should I just be my own person and just compete, you know, no matter what they think? Yeah, that's a great question, Samantha. <laughs> um, I, I look, I think I'll <laughs> ways to look at it but um yeah you know if you're there to get yourself better i mean i would i personally i would encourage you to to do whatever it takes to get better obviously when you've got others on the court that may want to be more of a fun environment you know maybe they're not the right people for you to be practicing with you know i think it's important yeah. to to choose your practice partners wisely maybe they're the ones you go and enjoy your tennis with and have a bit of fun but then you go and select others to, to really take you to a new level um, it, it's a it's a good question. It's obviously something that in tennis it's very hard to find someone that is going to challenge you all the time, and you've got to play up and down. And I give that advice to a lot of our our kids as well. You know, you've got to play up and down all the time to to challenge yourself and to you know it's not always about playing the best players. It's about you know how you play people at your level and people below you as well. And it's a learning curve for us all. But yeah, I, I'm not sure the right answer for you, Samantha. I hope uh, I've been able to give you something, but. Um, you seem like you're a very competitive uh, person, so I hope you get what you want, but find people that challenge you the most you can. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Yeah, no, I think you gave a great answer there, Mark. I mean, you don't want to... You can do that once in a while, but if you feel in, in you know, deep inside that I, I'm competitive, I want to compete, I want to train hard, and then you, you know, you have like three of these sessions a week with uh, people who don't want to compete, you know, that's not really the best fit for you. So uh, I, I really, you know, I think that Mark's answer was great about finding more instances and more people that will uh, challenge you, and then maybe once in a while you could play with them and things like that. So it's very important, you know, your environment and who you expose yourself to, and you know, it's old saying that you're the product of the five people you uh, spend time with the most. So, uh, yeah, great stuff there, Mark. 
Uh, so Lance, yeah, for sure. And Lance has a question about uh, uh, here. I think it is amazing how some players are able to hit the ball both left-handed and right-handed. I know a few of those. Uh, how does a coach decide which way the player should hit at the start of his or her career? That's a good question, Lance. Uh, it's quite interesting because my my little daughter does a bit of both, and and I I just allow her to experiment really. Um, you know, I think. Um, the coach uh, and and look, there's certain times where coaches need to make decisions on on certain things. But you know, allow I'm a big advocate of allowing what's natural in individuals and um, and not pigeonholing them into one or the other. But um, you know, I think Rafa is is a right hander, um, which is quite interesting that his uncle made him a lefty. So you know, I think there's there's pros and cons for doing you know both. But I guess what they generally do most of their stuff with, I, I would say. You know, I would choose if they could, if they were throwing right-handed, you'd probably keep them right because it's very hard to teach service actions unless they have a good throwing action. And the serve these days is a critical component. So if there's one or the other, I would probably say that would be how I would sway it. But at the end of the day, I think um, over time, kids especially will develop one way or the other and, and they'll probably come to the answer more than we need to probably push them into one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, great advice, sir. Uh, it's critical to have a good throwing motion on the serve. Um, so, uh, you know, getting back a little bit back to the the Brian brothers, I was curious if there's, you know, there's a ton of players, obviously, who are playing doubles, uh, who are listening to this and watching this, and uh, especially with the USA leagues in, in the US and probably in Australia too, um, uh, you know, playing a lot of doubles. So what what is maybe like one or two double strategies that you see the Brian brothers employ uh, in matches uh, that you think can be really helpful for us just uh, to keep in mind to, to try out? Yeah, good question. Um, I guess without giving away secrets, but um, <laughs> yeah. no, look, doubles, look, at the end of the day, doubles is a pretty simple game. It's about two things. Like it's well, one really is communication and connection. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't have uh, that communication and connection between you and your partner, then you better be looking for a new partner because it's, <laughs> One game that is so important to understand one another and to be able to trust one another. Uh, and the, the one thing that Bob and Mike have is amazing trust. Uh, I know they're twins, I know they're brothers, and it's a, you know obviously a bit easier, but it can be quite hard as well if you're playing with siblings. So, um, you know, they they have an amazing chemistry on the court, and you know it's about understanding each other's strengths and also masking each other's weakest weaknesses as well. And I think good doubles teams do that. Uh, I've been delivering quite um, a substantial doubles workshop in Australia for the last 12 months. I did a bit of a roadshow around the country. And this was my biggest point. Um, one of my other jobs is that I'm a football coach, an Australian football coach. And we work with a team of uh, 22 players on any given day to play together. Now, every player in the individual right has uh, amazing, amazing talent, amazing technique, amazing this and that. But Without chemistry, you have no team. And it's all about creating team in everything you do. So understanding who should serve first, understanding who should return from certain points. Uh, I think it's the, the critical component of doubles. You know, um, We all know how to hit a forehand, a backhand, a serve. We know how to volley. That's not the, the challenging part of doubles. The challenging part is where is my partner? Where are they serving? Where do I need to move to? Where are they going to move? And be able to have that cohesion on the court. And that's... Uh, without doubt one of the most important parts about about doubles um and if there's one tactical part i guess is 
cover the middle and and make sure the middle of the court is not exposed. Uh, do not ever let a ball go through the middle of the court. Let's force the players to play through the lines, uh, through the doubles uh, uh, alleys and ensure that they're bringing an element of another way of making an error. So, you know, there's only three ways of making an error, net, long and wide. Uh, the most important part is to bring as many of those into your opponent's eyes as you can. So if you leave the middle available, they have the lowest part of the net. They have no ability to hit wide. Uh, so I think it's important for us to bring that element into the game is make them play through the doubles alley uh, and, and cause them to make more errors than, than they're hitting winners. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful point. I mean, I can remember certain teams where they've been so solid through the middle against our groundies and my stomach has dropped. It's just saying like, it's going to be a long day, you know, we're going to have to hit what, like these crazy angled winners, you know, or uh, low percentage shots where the net's higher. So uh, yeah, great stuff there, uh, Mark. Appreciate that. Uh, so this one is uh, is interesting question from Peter here, uh, two-parter here, but uh, and I don't know how much you've studied our uh, great uh, United States uh, philosophies here, Mark, but uh, Mark is at, or Peter is asking, can you differentiate Tennis Australia from USTA's player development philosophies? So I, I don't know, you know, how much you can. Yeah, I, I don't know much about the USTA philosophy. Um, I know, <laughs> look, I know every, one of the biggest things, Peter, is that everybody is unique in their own philosophy. And Look, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to the person in front of you shapes your philosophy. So, you know, as a coach, I don't, I have my philosophy that is strong, but each player needs something different. And I think uh, it's important to create your own philosophy and not to follow others. So, you know, every federation will have a way of coaching, a way of teaching certain things. And it's great for us to look at every bit of content from our, our, um, our national body and take it but you need to mold it into what fits into you and what fits into your players. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not all over the USTA uh, philosophy. I know Tennis Australia have some great um, content uh, that we teach and I think it's, it's amazing, but I think every nation has amazing content. Uh, it's not what you do, it's how you do it though. And, you know, you grab the content and it's what you do with that bit of content that's the most important. And if there's anything I can advise you to do, it's to grab everything that you like um, and I like to use it as making a cake, grab all your ingredients, put it into your bowl, mix it up, and then put whatever flavoring you want to put into it to make your cake. And that to me is the most important part about taking philosophies. There's no one philosophy that's right. And there's no one philosophy that's wrong. You know, there's certain players that have been amazing coming out of Australia. There's some certain players out of America that have been amazing. Canada are doing amazing things with their players. Italy has come through the last... 12 to 18 months and just flying. So I think if you can take the best out of everything and put it into your mixing bowl and then create your own flavor to it, to me, that's the best philosophy you can have. That's right, Mario. That's really great advice. Just don't eat too much cake, uh, you know, before your matches. That's the only thing. <laughs> um, and so I want to ask you a bit about becoming a complete player. And we obviously did address, you know, a really important part, which is the mental uh, aspect. But you know, going back to the example of the player who is kind of like in a, a rut, so to speak, where they, you know, they feel like they have some technical issues to hammer out, you know, as an amateur player, also some mindset, uh, you know, aspects and, you know, even some physical, they're hurting, things like that. So what what's the approach to to becoming a more complete player? Like, how should we approach this type of situation? Okay, yeah, it's probably a couple of, couple of answers to that I think I can go down the path of one is um, 
and I know you use the word rut, but I, I, I always say to my players, you can't go from playing really well to not playing well in the space of 24 hours or a week or whatever. Um, there's no such thing as playing worse. You, your, your level of play never reduces. It's only the belief in the level of your play. So what, sometimes we think situations are worse off than they really are. And you're on the court and you're like, oh, my forehand's just not working now. Well, hang on, it was working five minutes ago. It wasn't your forehand. It may be what you're trying to do with your forehand or what the opponent is trying to do to you or where you're trying to play the ball, how you're trying to play it there, or you've just gone negative in the situation and it's become tight. It might be a mindset. Your feet start stop moving because you're in a mindset right. And I think it's never as, as diabolical as we all think. You know, we always look at it and go, oh, it's, oh, it's so bad. Things are not going well. But um, I think it's important for us to understand that everything can be turned around with a mindset. So that being said, I feel like tennis is about holistic training. You know, we all think that to get better, we need to be on the tennis court. Um, and through COVID-19, I can be, I'm a huge advocate of, I've been coaching kids online. Our, our school training we've done every day has been an online platform that we have been doing physical sessions, mindset sessions. We've been doing nutrition sessions. We've had special guest speakers. Um, we've watched tactical um, things and, and taught them through that. How much of a, the time do we spend because we, we take it for granted just on the court, just hitting balls, pointless hitting, you know, yeah. I think important to have a structure to creating a holistic athlete and your training should revolve around the holistic part of the game and not just hitting a tennis ball um, without any purpose. So, you know, I hope that answers the question because I feel like there's a two pronged attack to it. Um, nothing's ever as bad as it seems. And if we want to make things better, we need to be holistic athletes um, and holistic players uh, as opposed to one dimensional. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense there. And so, I mean, how do you allocate uh, time? Uh, say if you have several different areas that you really need to improve upon and we want to take the holistic approach, like do you just allocate according to like the priority that gets the most time and then you, you know, give smaller chunks to the others or is there some other approach? It's a, it's a great question. Again, I, I think it's a very individualized thought process. I generally prioritize, um, for that individual in front of me as a coach, what needs to be done. Now, as a coach, you look at it and you might have a player that comes in one hour a week and to get a holistic approach in one hour a week is going to be quite, um, so yeah. you, what the priorities are for that player. And generally, you know, I prioritize two things in particular. One is serve, one is return. Okay. If we're not prioritizing serve and return in all of our practice, um, and the plus one ball, we're not practicing to play better matches. We're just practicing for the sake of doing that. If you want to improve your game, the serve and return is the most important element of the game. So that needs to be prioritized without fail. And then obviously you want to, you know, make sure you're grooving the ground strokes because you need confidence in the, in the off the ground kind of stuff. And if you're a net player, you'd probably prioritize coming forward. So I think it's important to first and foremost, put in your, uh, your serve and return. And then everything else around that uh, can be put into individualized for the player that you've got in front of you. Yeah. I love it. I mean, if I could go back in time, I would just really prioritize my serve and return to just, uh, just unbelievably important. So, uh, and we're definitely going to obviously talk about really exciting again, the launch of, uh, the tennis menu, which is, which is going to be great and highly encourage everybody to, to check that out. Um, so one other question before we do that about, uh, just improving your game, 
Um, what what are a couple of the biggest mistakes that you see amateur tennis players making? And that could be in any sort of environment, or uh, you know, whether it's a match or practice habits, anything like that that you could maybe point out that might resonate with us that we could then change. Yep. Um, purposeful practice is definitely the one that stands out to me. Um, you know, I had even players that I coach and I educate daily go on the practice court yesterday and just hit up and down the middle for one hour. And I said to them, guys, what's the purpose of what you're doing? I just want to find rhythm. Okay. For what reason? Are you aiming for depth? Are you aiming for height? Are you aiming for shape? Something needs to be the focus of your session. So that to me is one of the most important parts. So have a, have a really strong purpose and, and clarity as to what you want to try and achieve on the practice court, because that will then help you to shape your matches better. Um, and the other thing is preparing well, you know, don't go on the pra- on the practice court if you haven't warmed up, you know, and we think warm up is just, you know, a little bit of a jog and roll the arms over and whatever else, but a warm up is mental and physical. You know, you're preparing yourself to, to achieve at the highest level that you possibly can. So, Get there 20 minutes, 30 minutes early. Prepare your body, prepare your mind. Talk to your practice partner about what you want to try and get out of the session. You know, if it's one hour session, make sure that every minute counts. You know, I think there's no point practicing if you're looking to improve your game without a purpose and without a goal. Um, no, None of the best players do that. And, you know, they leave the footprints for us to, to continue on towards. So, you know, just have a strong, strong clarity as to what you want to achieve. Love it. And speaking of that preparation, uh, assuming that none of these pros will get uh, mad at us for divulging, what or you can make a you know combination of of uh, routines. I was wondering, you know, what if you could take us through a routine that a professional tennis player uh, goes through themselves before uh, a match? Yeah, that's it. I, and that's the one thing that I wish I could have a, a GoPro in my head to show you yeah. what the player doing pre-match because to sit in the cafe of the uh, the Grand Slams and to watch different players, you know, I've, I've watched so many players and I was, I, Roger Federer is my, you know, my idol. I just love Roger. Um, and yeah, and okay. I'm next to, well, on the table next to him, uh, preparing for a match. And um, he likes to be just kind of relaxed and chilled out for a few hours, eat his dinner, you know, be with the family and so forth. Some players will sit in the corner and not speak to anybody. Some players won't even be in the cafe. They'll be on their own. But I think it's important, I guess, you know, a few hours before you play is to have a really a good meal. Obviously, it's a really important factor to fuel yourself up for the match, um, to obviously be in your space and what you need to be doing. It might be with your, your favorite music on and to make sure that you're relaxed or calm or, or trying to rev yourself up a little bit before your match. Um, they then go through a warm-up. Most players do between a 30 to 45-minute warm-up, you know, before they play. Um, and it all depends. They might be just riding the bike. And I love sitting in the gym at the Australian Open and you've got this, these bikes that are all lined up and you've got the TVs in front of you and the players have got their earphones in. They're in their match outfit. They're riding their bike. And it's like about a set into the match before they're about to play. So they're just waiting for that match so that they can get ready to play. And they, they start to see that the match is going in one direction. They go, okay, I'm, I'm going to get ready to play. And then the match flips and then it goes to three sets and they have to stop their warm-up. And it's quite interesting okay. to watch it over a two or three-hour process of a player starting and stopping warm-ups. Um, and I, I really love that because it's it's a game that we just never know when we're going to be on the court. So 
Um, but I think it's important to have a good meal, um, warm yourself up to the best that you possibly can. That includes, you know, moving. It includes TheraBand uh, for your shoulders mm -hmm. to upper body activation. It might include some rotation of medicine balls. Uh, it might include some tactical thoughts with your coach, okay, to go over what you want to do and have a plan in place. And then obviously the players in, have individual needs. So some of the players I've worked with in the past want to talk to you as a coach and have fun and just relax their mind. Other players are like, leave me alone. And you, you've got to understand what they need. And um, I had a great story of Victor Hanescu was about to play um, Leighton Hewitt at the Hopman Cup. And we were underneath the arena. And Victor was a very calm guy. He's a six foot six giant that is the most placid, calm guy. And we were just, you know, doing some TheraBand, nice and relaxed, waiting for our match to go on. And Leighton Hewitt was with his boxing coach five meters away, beating the hell out of him with the, with the boxing gloves. And it was like the most intimidating, you know, 20 minutes of our, of our preparation. And and Victor looked at me like, wow, what, what do I do here? I think he's going to kill me, not, not play against me. Um, and I said, it's okay. It's all cool. You know, we'll be fine. Um, so, you know, everybody's so individual in what they need in preparation. It's important to be, to, to prepare the way you need to, to play your match. Love it. So maybe if you don't know what you need to, you know, your intensity and relaxed or to get hyped up, maybe you try getting hyped up one mat before one match and then you stay more relaxed before another and then you see which one works better maybe a few times. Yeah. Is that 100%. You know, okay. I, think, I think preparation is trial and error, you know, and then write down what works for you so then you can create your recipe for success. And the more you write it down, the more it becomes evident for the things that you need and then write down the things that have really not worked for you you know you might be too tired before you match because you've done a 45 minute warm-up and you can't last for 10 minutes in the match so you know write that down that you know probably not physically ready to do that so you know write your pros and cons and then you you come up with your success recipe to, to take into a match got it awesome mark oh, i'm gonna sneak this question in real quick uh so so uh, jay asks do you have any technical advice on how to track and hit a ball with that tricky lefty spin. <laughs> any, any tips on that? Uh, if there's someone that wants to talk about lefties, it's not me because I used to, my dad was a lefty and he killed me every time. Oh, <laughs> oh dang. Uh, but no, look, left, I mean, any kind of tracking activity, I think, you know, at the end of the day, take away the fact that they're left-handed and focus more on the ball. Um, and I think we play the ball, we don't play the opponent more often than not. And I think it's important to understand um, when the opponent is striking the ball, that is your cue to split step. When the ball is bouncing, that is your cue to have your racket at the take back of your swing. And then that should be able to align your cues for your racket pathway. And if you have a few cues that you utilize, you know, it might be impact, bounce, and then your contact, then that makes it really simple for your mind to process. And it makes it simple for your body to adhere to. Love it, Mark. So I want to, uh, you know, obviously educate the audience about, uh, you know, what you're up to and the latest project. So can you tell us uh, a little bit about the purpose of the Tennis Menu, which is launching very soon? And obviously let us know when that's launching also. Of course. The Tennis Menu is a, a four-year process. Well, actually, it's more. It's probably a 24-year process of me collating all my ideas um, with, a you know, a great friend of mine and a partner in crime, Nick Gissing, who's incredible at putting it together for me. I'm a, I'm a coach. Um, and he's he's the he's the, the person who puts it together for me. And look, it's it's been going for four years in terms of developing the the content and developing the website and getting that ready to go. Um, and it was started as actually a process of um, literally we wanted to look at it as a, um, a 
basically putting together all the ideas of coaching. And then it was, wasn't aimed to be as big as it was. And we kept growing it and growing it and growing it over the time. And basically it's going to be a, a one-stop tennis shop. And you'll have, uh, at the moment, we have 600 on-court technical interventions to create better technique at the moment. So they're all filmed. They're all in video form. We give you the description of the drill, the reasons why you do it, how you do it, the focus of the drill, whether it be technical, tactical, physical, mental, uh, perception or reception skills. Uh, we also uh, have, we're going to have a holistic program of strength and conditioning, mindset, uh, nutrition. Uh, we've got a data analyst who does all of our data and we break down what the game is telling us to how we need to practice. Uh, we have a, a flexibility coach who is going through flexibility, mobility activities to help prepare you and your body for optimal uh, performance. Uh, we have, we're going to have webinars, um, plenty of online stuff to be able to learn from. Uh, yeah. And it's look, it's been a collation of ideas over so many years and uh, i'm so glad i wrote down a lot of the ideas i had early on in my coaching and i encourage anybody to do that as well and we've been able to put it down and look you know we're launching with a great product in the next uh we'll, we'll go live this weekend so our website will be live for people to be able to look through and have a look at um, and then we're going to have a launch within the next few weeks so um, it's really exciting so basically we're just looking at um we're sending it all out to all of our subscribers so you know if you go to the tennismenu.com and you put your details in we'll we'll notify you of when uh, everything is up and running and we'll send you emails um actually talking about the brian brothers they gave a fantastic testimony i'm so um honored to have a testimonial from the best doubles team of all time of you know you know to get out there and to be on, you know on the tennis menu and uh, cara black's another one who i've done a little bit of work with in the past and she's given a great um testimonial for me and i'm just so grateful for the players that i've been involved with because at the end of the day the players make us as coaches um you guys give us a job um, and you know, i thank every single player that i've ever worked with because it doesn't matter if you're a high level or low level you've helped create me as a coach and obviously creating me as a coach has been able to help me create this content and over the years i've collated all these ideas and i wanted to pass them on because there's no good me going to my grave one day and it's all stuck in my head um, you know, important for us tennis people to share our knowledge and you know I'm not out there to compete with anyone I'm out there to share and, and that's basically what I've, I've aimed to do and that's what we've aimed to do with our product is to share with everybody you know that tennis can be taught anywhere can be learned online uh, and you can have so many ways of, of learning the game and we're hopefully going to give you a great platform to do that love it and then so as far as you know the types of players and people who did uh, the, the website do who the tennis menu would would help serve i mean what uh subsects or sects would that be would that be like players or coaches parents like who would that best serve? hit the nail on the head it's coaches players and, and athletes is our, our three areas and we're going to have athlete seminars parent and coaching where we can educate all three platforms in their own way um, it's also people say, you know, is it from a, a recreational or, or, or performance? Uh, development is any level and we've got development drills for everything. So you'll see drills on there that can be taught from, you know, five years of age to an adult recreational player to a pro tour player. And we're starting off with our technical pro product at the moment where it's all interventions based on creating the best techniques possible. And then we're going to add tactical drills and formats and doubles and et cetera. And there's so many things we're going to get to people that, you know, I'm just so excited to be able to share it because for so long I've just kept it inside me. And now it's important that I can share it out there and 
whatever level you are, whatever coach or parent or athlete, uh, will have, you know, ways to be able to connect with us as well. And as I said at the start, I'm very open to people connecting with me. And I, and I really, you know, I love what um, people bring me because it teaches me also. So, um, you know, if anyone's out there and you're listening to this, and I hope there is someone <laughs> listening to listening to me today, but I'm more than happy to, to answer questions because I think that's, you know, I, tennis, uh, the, the high end of the game has always been hard to get hold of. You know, it's hard to get hold of the best players and understand what they're doing, but I'm hopefully able to bring that to, to people's doorsteps. That's really cool, Mark. And so it sounds like you, I mean, you have a, a great team, you know, as part of this and you have several different uh, aspects that, that, that you're going to help uh, players to, to work on, whether that's their, you know, fitness technique, strategy, you know, all sorts of things. So that's really exciting. And then, so you said that we can basically go right now to the tennismenu.com and then to uh, basically sign up and then we'll get notified when it, uh, it everything opens up, right? Yeah, spot on. So if you just uh, go to tennismenu.com, um, basically you'll go there and you can just click to register your details. Um, and I think we just got a submission come through there, which is fantastic. Hopefully it's someone from here, but um, thanks so much for that. But yeah, if you go on there and put your details in, we're going to update people um, when everything's going to launch. We sent our first um, email out on uh, this week to notify people that we are about to launch the product to be sort of keep their ear to the ground because it's coming. And um, look, it's it's a fantastic thing for me because I've just been so excited and, and uh, to be able to get my knowledge out there. And um, and I, as I've mentioned today, like so many stories and I want to be able to go on and talk to people about the stories you learn um, through coaching, through tennis and the journey in life that it takes us on. And um, if I can help you to be a better person as well as a better player, that's my goal. So um, hopefully we can achieve that through the tennis menu and then give people some real positive, uh, positive tennis vibes. Yeah. I mean, uh, Mark is, you know, one of, the, one of the most genuine coaches that you'll meet and, uh, you know, really respect his work. So uh, definitely uh, he really cares about the players. So, and coaches and, and everybody who he works with. So that's really uh uh, really a testament to, to the great job that you're doing and the passion. Um, so, uh, Mark, uh, we got some more questions here. We have uh, Samantha. Uh, do you suggest keeping a tennis notebook? That is a good question and is a spot on. Uh, yeah, because you do need to keep one. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to have a great uh, tennis journal coming out pretty shortly. So basically, nice. I've created a journal, which I thought over time um, has information based on um, the habits you need as an athlete on a regular basis, what you need to do, creating a recipe for your success. So we've basically got areas where you can write down the things that are working on the court for you. And at the end of your journal, you can put in what your recipe looks like. And uh, that'll be, you know, on our, in our, uh, our store to be able to purchase as well, to be able to get hold of. And you can utilize um, that as a journal, but absolutely take as many notes as you can as a coach. It's funny because um, I hate being on my phone when I coach, but I always write notes. And I always write notes about things that I've said to players or things that I've done that have worked because I feel like I need to continue to create my recipe. And if you're a player out there or coach or a parent, continue to create recipes for success and um, you can make your best chocolate cake possible. Mm, delicious. Again, not before a match. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we've got Gene here with a very nice comment. You're what a good coach should be able to relate to and help all levels of players. Your enthusiasm is wonderful. Thank you. I agree. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Gene. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, just a couple more questions uh, for you, Mark. Let me know if you have to take off. But No, all good. Awesome. Um, 
So for coaches, uh, you know, you've given us some great advice for both players and coaches. Um, what are a couple mistakes that you see coaches make and then how should they go about fixing them? Oh, that's, that's a really good question. I see a lot of coaches that try to control everything. And, you know, at the end of the day, the player themselves will be unique in their own way. We can't control their makeup, their personal characteristics, but we can create a really uh, great environment for them to be in. And I think it, life's about environment, right? So, you know, I have two young kids, five and three. The environment I create at home is going to shape the way that they become in the future. And it's no different to being a coach or a teacher. If you create the right learning environment that's positive, that, that promotes success, that helps you become the best you can possibly be, um, that is not critical, um, you've got to have some sort of critical components, but it's constructive criticism that's important. And I think the feedback and the way we give it is really critical. So uh, language is another one for coaches to really watch. You know, don't do this, don't do that. He's not going to help a player. What do you want a player to achieve is more, you know, don't hit the ball into the net is what I hear a lot. How about you talk to them about, hey, give the ball net clearance. You know, let's look at a meter net clearance. It's important to give what you want all the time, um, not what you don't want. So coach, coach the things that you want to see. Uh, I'll give you another pearl of wisdom. We've got to water what we want to grow. Um, and, you know, you water the things that you want to grow. So if it's, you know, you want positive attitude, you've got to be positive. You've got to be energetic. Uh, if you want them to have, um, you know, really good habits and behaviors, tell them, hey, great warm up you just did. Well done. I love the way you warmed up and the way you went about it, the skipping, the jogging, the, the, the TheraBand, outstanding. So you water that habit and then they continue to do that because they get praise from you all the time. You know, if my daughter does something really well, hey, well done on doing that because then she goes, oh, if I want praise from my dad, I've got to do that again. So uh, it's, it's one of those key components of, you know, coaches a lot of the time will say, yeah, good, great shot. Yeah, well done. Um, no, don't do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's awesome. But what's awesome? It was awesome that you dropped the racket head on the on the on the forehand swing to get the mm -hmm. ball shaped to get lift over the net. So they understand what you're praising them for to continually get praise. And that for me is a really really important part of you know people have to understand what you're praising them for or what you're not happy with, and then they can understand it and then they can go about you know correcting that as well. Exactly. Yeah. And Gene reinforces that uh, says. Yeah, coaches who compliment me on everything need to give me some constructive ideas. Just saying that's good doesn't really teach me how to improve. So exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Becky's question. Um, yeah. So uh, we should uh, coaches require all players to keep a journal and also record daily, weekly, monthly, short, long-term goals. Yeah. And this is that's a super question because time is a really uh, important part for coaches now um the one thing that we don't want to have all the time is have to read hundreds of journals day in day out as coaches because we've got enough on our plate but i think it's important more for the kids sake um, and then also for you as a reference point so they might write down what they learned in their lesson they might write down what they did in that previous lesson so when they come to you the following week you basically reinforce the messages from last week and you know where to continue on this week. You know, I see, you know, I'm on court, you know, eight, 10 hours a day sometimes. And you can't remember, you know, the 50, 60 hours of coaching you did the previous week or two or three weeks earlier. So it's important. I think if they can keep a journal now, the hard thing is, is that you, you 
if you get players to keep a journal, you as a coach have to be on that journal. Um, and you have to be, okay, let's check your journal, what we did last week. Let's remember what we did. Um, what were your key messages? What were your key points? And I think if we can, if we as coaches have good time management skills, it's a great, a great thing to have because we, again, we find our recipe for success. Love it there, Mark. Um, so as far as, uh, let's see what we got here. As far as your favorite books, because I know, you know, you, you've, you know, learned so much about the game. Do you have any books that you'd recommend, you know, that we, that we read or ones that you would gift a friend, which basically signifies that they're really, really valuable for us to maybe check out? Oh, there's a couple of really good ones. Um, one that I utilize, and it's funny because a lot of the books that I really enjoy are not tennis specific. So um, I hope I don't offend anyone by that. But um, there's a book called Knowing Yourself and Others. Um, mm. Knowing Yourself and Others. And that's a book by Dr. Phil Jauncey. And that book there probably started my uh, change of the way that I coach and my philosophies around, uh, around people and how people respond to me. So uh, basically it's a personality book and how to understand different personalities, how to categorize people in different ways to be able to get the best out of them. And I think as a coach, for me, it's about getting the best out of someone. It's not about me having all the knowledge in the world. It's about me helping someone to, uh, to achieve their best um, at all times. And that book there is about personalities. I love that book. Um, there's a, a few books by Alistair McCaw, who I, I think has got a lot of great stuff about habits and behaviors. And I think, you know, Alistair's stuff is, is brilliant. You can see a lot of his stuff online. He, you know, he's, he's really driving the habits and behaviors of people, um, in, in the community and on the tennis court or in the sporting field. So he's a great one to look up. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the reason I look at these sort of books more than I look at tennis books is, you know, knowledge can be acquired in tennis, but, um, people are. Uh, the person you have in front of you is going to be a person much longer than they are a tennis player. So, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to create the right behaviors and habits of people uh, as well as, as well as players. And I feel like that's always been my philosophy is make sure that you leave these people better than you find them. And if you can, if you can do that, and it doesn't matter if they, you know, uh, don't be the best tennis player in the world. It, people love this sport for one reason. It's the sport itself. And if you can learn life lessons from it, uh, it's the most important part about this sport and why we, why we all choose to play it because it teaches us so much about life and the journey that we go on. That's right. That's right. Tons of life lessons from, from tennis. And that's why it's great, you know, in general to play sports because you learn a lot about hard work and integrity and uh, competitiveness and, and all these great things, discipline and so forth. Um, Mark, as far as... Um, Okay, this question is usually fun for for me uh, to learn from from uh, the coaches and, and players, and sometimes they get a little stumped. But I don't. I think you'll you'll do pretty well, Mark. So, if you got the opportunity to uh, write anything you wanted on a billboard that would be erected on the most trafficked um, road in, let's say, Melbourne, uh, so you know many thousands of people would see it per day, uh, what would you write on it? Oh, I think I look, I think this is the one that and it's more about life is treat people the way you would like to be treated. Yeah. And if we can have a society where people are not competing against each other and are there to help one another, which I think the whole COVID-19 process for us in this country especially has been awesome because people are now appreciating one another. And I think that that's one of the most important parts about life is that we're not out to compete against the person next to us. We're out to, 
to enjoy them and them competing in terms of tennis wise will make us better anyway but you know treat others how you'd like to be treated awesome love it um so now i'm scanning to see if you have any other questions but i'll ask you this uh you know usually the final question that i like to ask my guests which is uh what is one key tip that you can give us to help us improve our games Oh, one key tip is it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Mm. So everybody has got a, an ability to go and practice, but how are you doing that? Everybody can go and warm up, but what intensity are you doing that? What's the mindset behind it? You know, everybody can do mindfulness, but are you doing it to the right way in the right present moment? Uh, everybody can do strength and conditioning, but do you chicken out the last set because you're a bit tired and, and you do you go out there and go, no, I've got to get to that appointment. I won't do my last set. Or do you do it and really fight through it? You know, do you stay out for the extra 10 minutes and do the extra 10 minutes of backhand down the line because it didn't finish off well? Or do you just go home and leave it on an error into the net? You know, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And it's important to become the best you by putting 110% into everything you do. Yeah, love that. Yeah, I, actually, today I was listening to a podcast interview with uh, Joe Rogan interviewing Kevin Hart. And Kevin was actually, you know what? I might have been Tim, Tim Ferriss. But regardless, uh, Kevin was talking about how he never, you know, uh, he's a different term, but, you know, doing things halfway, uh, essentially. I mean, why, why would you do that to yourself? Then you might as well not even be there. You know, you might as well just do something else that you're more passionate about. So just really uh, put in your full effort and you don't want to, at the end of your career or life, you know, look back and think that uh, I haven't put all my efforts towards, uh, you know, what I could have uh, potentially accomplished. So, uh, really great advice there, Mark, really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah. So, so where can people, uh, follow you, uh, you know, maybe on social perhaps and any other platforms you'd like to shout out? Yeah, sure. I mean, my name, Mark Sapul, so hopefully you can come up on your screen there, but you know, I'm all over, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, you can, you can find me personally anywhere more than happy to share and and you know happy to have anybody as part of my network and i love having the more people in my network the better and you know i love to share my ideas and hopefully i can teach you know everybody out there something um i'm obviously the tennis menu is all over all socials um you know we're, we're pretty active we're posting twice a day uh the tennis menu is absolutely everywhere um hopefully we're giving some some good content for people to learn the melbourne international tennis school mitts uh one of my sides here uh mitts is uh you know where I've, I've grown up and it's what shaped me into the person i am to the coach i am um we're on social media as well melbourne international tennis school so it's all there uh but yeah i mean look you know feel free to get in contact with me i mean i you know, I'd love, I love uh, when I finish these sort of presentations for people to write in, you know, the one key thing that they learn, T type me a private message, you know, what's something that you took from, from today's session, because I think it's important that we don't just listen, that we also go and act upon it, like I spoke about before, and that will teach you and reinforce in your mind what the most uh, important learning curve about today was. Love it, Mark. Well, uh, let me just check out the comments. Oh, yeah, Samantha, thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure. So, our pleasure, rather. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Uh, well, I, you know, Mark, I just want to thank you again for uh, all your contributions to tennis. And uh, obviously, you probably gathered that that Mark, you know, he's he's traveling. Uh, obviously, not right now, but he travels a lot in general to to educate people about the game of tennis, whether that's coaches or players. And 
He's worked with, you know, many of the, the most elite athletes on the planet, as well as amateur players and, and, you know, competitive juniors and so forth. And, uh, just want to acknowledge you for all your hard work and passion for the sport, Mark. And, uh, it's always a pleasure to connect with you. And, uh, it's just amazing again, you know, like you're in Australia, I'm here in Maryland, USA, and it's great that we're able to, to connect. And, um, I'm hoping that this will happen again soon for us. And yeah, I just want to thank you. And for sure, everybody really should just go to the tennismenu.com uh, right now, <laughs> whether you're listening, uh, you know, live or on the podcast, and, and check it out and, and sign up so that you can uh, be notified by Mark and his team when uh, the tennis menu will launch. And I'm uh, really excited for it. And, and, you know, definitely anticipating, uh, you know, all the great content that's going to come out on de- several different aspects, all aspects that you need to improve upon. So, uh, yeah, Mark, thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast. It's uh, really a pleasure and uh, really looking forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much. And thanks for, for having me on everything that you do. I think it's, um, you know, great. You're spreading the word in tennis and, and thank you for all the people that have been listening today um, and taking time out of their day or their night, wherever, <laughs> wherever you are and yeah. uh, to be able to listen to this. And, you know, tennis is a great sport. It's, it's taught me so many lessons and um, yeah, I guess hopefully the tennis menu can teach, you know, so many people out there, you know, our journey and what we've been on is, as players, coaches, as parents. And, uh, you know, we want to give you know, as much as we can. So, you know, I do thank you for, for having me on everything and I'm more than happy anytime to jump on. And obviously for anybody to connect with me, more than happy to, to share to share anything. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty open book. And as you can probably tell, I don't hide back too much. And um, yeah, if anything, if anything comes of it, yeah, please feel free to get in, get in contact with us. For sure. And uh, before we end, I just want to mention this. David said that he looked your name up on Amazon and didn't find any books and thinks that you should definitely write. You're a great communicator. So when are we going to see a book, Mark? It's uh, it's look, I, I've been, it's funny. He says that because I've been uh, <laughs> writing, writing my, my book actually, as we've been going, but it's a very slow process. Yeah. Um, just trying to get uh, as many of my coaching ideas and stories that I've had over the past and, um, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not a great writer, so someone needs to probably interpret, um, uh, my Australian slang, but if I can, if I can get some ideas on paper, um, uh, yeah, hopefully soon we can have a book out. Love it. Great to hear. Yeah. And thank you, David. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Becky, everybody for listening, uh, and being on the live, uh, version and thank you everybody also on the podcast for listening. So Mark, thanks again. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, mate and, uh, all the best and stay safe and healthy. Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. Thanks to everyone for listening. All right. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Mark Sofalis. And Mark, thanks a lot for coming on to the show and for your continued passion and commitment to helping us players and coaches become better and improve themselves. Really appreciate that. And I also would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that on your favorite podcast app of choice whether that's Apple Podcasts, which would probably be the most helpful because they have the biggest audience, I'd say. But uh, any podcast app where you could leave a review would be really great. It would help me improve the show and also would help the rankings and visibility of the show and help others discover it more easily, which would be great. And I'd also like to leave you with a quote today, as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Richard Branson great entrepreneur. And Richard said, you don't learn to walk by following rules. 
you learn by doing and by falling over. Great lesson about just going for it and using failing as a learning tool. And uh, I've also been doing some more reading these days, of course, with us being uh, mostly holed up in our homes and whatnot. Uh, I've had more time to work on tennis files as well as to broaden my knowledge. And I really am enjoying this book by David Epstein called Range. And the subtitle is Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And the really cool thing about this book is that it is not a tennis-specific book, and yet the very first chapter compares the upbringing of Tiger Woods versus one Roger Federer, the GOAT, as declared by many people. Uh, we'll leave that for you to debate. But uh, yeah, so very cool. And uh, t- you know, I don't want to give too much of the book away, but it starts by talking about how Tiger was brought up to specialize pretty much straight from birth while Roger sampled so many different sports and then ultimately later decided to specialize in tennis. So a really cool book. I'll link it in the show notes on the show notes page and that will be at tennisfiles.com slash 149 and also in the show notes section of your uh, podcast app for this particular episode. So I always really enjoy reading. Uh, It's just very calming and uh, really fun to learn new things from a wide variety of disciplines, which uh, just like (laughs) how Roger has applied what he learned from all different disciplines and sports to tennis, and it clearly made him a great player. And I know from interviewing some other great players that You know, many of them, for example, had played baseball when they were young, and that's why they have huge serves and things like that. So, or great footwork because they played basketball and soccer. So, yeah, cool book there. Uh, But in any case, I just really hope that you all are staying safe, uh, whether it's at home or gradually returning to uh, some semblance of normal life, depending on where you live. But uh, all the best to you, and I'll definitely be bringing you more tennis content and I'm working on a lot of really cool things actually like uh, a new membership area much more functional and easier to navigate so for those of you who have um, become all access pass members or joined my uh, members uh, site my my membership group uh, if you will uh, that is actually something that's coming up really soon for you to be able to enjoy so I've been working on that for the past month it's been, you know, of course, with, with all big things, you know, sometimes a struggle, but overall uh, enjoyable and exciting. So, all right, I will leave it at that. And thanks again for tuning in to the show and wishing you all the best. Take care. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirabon signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.